0: Thank you, Ryan, and it's uh, great to be here with you today to speak on the subject of Christianity and politics. Huge, huge topic, and there I guess there are a number of ways into a topic as big as this, Christianity and politics. They have two parts to them, and within themselves they are massive. So uh, let me sketch out What those two parts are, I think, before giving you a bit of an idea of how I'm going to get into this topic, the meat of the topic. What is politics? i got lazy at this point. Um, Very lazy. Art student lazy. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just trying to figure out a way to insult as many people across the board here, because I know I'm only here for a short time. But uh, I looked at wordreference.com. And that says that politics is the profession devoted to governing and to political affairs, which is probably as good a definition as any that you're going to get when you're dealing with such a huge area of interest, a profession dedicated to governing and to political affairs. Wherever you have more than one person, you have politics. You have ways of organising the relationship between people in the world, and between people and people. So, I walk into Toys R Us with my seven-year-old, and there is a political scenario where she attempts to use her voting power to uh, change our collective behaviour. Now, our family is not a democracy, and I have as many votes as I need for the right thing to happen, but the system is still against me. And I'm not an expert on politics. So our house is packed to the ceiling with um, colouring books, Lego blocks, brat dolls and plastic keyboards, all of which are a clear testimony to my failure to understand the system and how politics works. So I suggest next time you invite, if you invite me back, uh, you invite my seven-year-old daughter as well and she will sort of deal with that area of themes. Anyway, my theory is that politics just works out from my relationship with my seven-year-old daughter, which is why you can have family politics, national politics, international politics, state politics, local council politics, office politics, the list just goes on. Wherever you get people, you get power relationships and structures that develop as they try and work out how to to get their way through those power relationships and to influence what is going on. So that's the politics circle, if you like. Um, And as I say, I know little about it, but I know something about it. But I know a fair bit about Christianity because I've been a Christian for more than 30 years, coming from a background of atheism, and the key to Christianity is that Jesus Christ is Lord and God of all. That I have rejected his lordship and so have you and so has everyone else in this world and that he has nevertheless graciously given his life so that we could be forgiven. That is what Christianity is. That is what Christianity teaches. So if you like, I would represent our topic today as two circles. One involves politics and the other involves Christianity and there is an overlap. But because I'm here as a Christian, the two circles are perhaps more like a penny-farthing bicycle the, uh, the Christianity circle for me is dominating and controlling and that's the the view that I'm going to try and put to you today and to present to you that uh, Christianity, uh, the, the perspective that Christianity has on politics is a controlling interest. Now I've got three principles that I want to put before you and they are on your outline as you came in. You've would got an outline for the talk and it is here, how should Christians relate to politics and there are three principles that I want to spell out to you and uh, there they are on the outline. Principle one is that the Christian ought to be someone who loves their neighbour. Principle two is that we are incapable of doing it, we can't do it. And principle three is that God does what we can't, although under that third principle, I'm also going to say that the surgery is about 10,000% more radical than any of us thought that it was going to be. So let me start us off then by asking a question. Where do you put your efforts, given this massive circle of what we might call politics, but it could be anything to do with human relationships, where do you put your efforts in the political world? In fact, there is a question that ought to come before that, and that is the question, should you in fact put your efforts anywhere at all? What I mean by that is there is an honourable Christian tradition of opting out. Historically, some Christians have opted out of politics because they are about to get crucified upside down or fed to a lion. At which point they probably decided that they had better things to do with their time than worry about the fact that the local video library was charging too much for the poor people to have a stake in the outcome. Jesus on trial before Pilate, just before he was executed. Um, It's not on your outline here, but it is a verse from John's Gospel. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. That's from John's Gospel, chapter 18 and verse 36. And uh, people have gone from there. Some Christians have said, well, no, no, we could be part of politics if we want to, but we choose not to be. So, and again, on your outline there, uh, I've got some Bible quotes. Have a look at those. Luke 12, verse uh, 13. By the way, I'm I'm not assuming that... uh, I shouldn't assume, should I, that... Uh, everybody here is a Christian, some of you are here as friends, and that's great that you're here. Let me just say something very quickly about how the Bible is structured. There are 66 books contained within the Bible, and they're divided really for the sake of, in, uh, of convenience into chapters, which are about a page long, and verses, which are about a sentence long. So when it says Luke chapter 12, Luke 12 colon 13, what it's saying is, If you go to the 12th chapter of Luke and about the 13th sentence, uh, and it's just a very easy way of finding your way around um, the Bible. Uh, Luke 12, verse 13 said, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? So that's talking to Jesus. Um, They've got a big property dispute going on. Uh, Anyone who's familiar with wills or debts in families knows about property disputes going on. And the man comes and says to Jesus, tell uh, tell my brother to divide the property with me. And Jesus' response, very similar to, my kingdom's not of this world, the one from John's gospel, very similar response is, well, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And in another place, Matthew's gospel, chapter 22 and verse 21, Jesus says, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. See, uh, again, this suggestion of separation. So, Christians have gone to verses like that and said, well, um, that is the basis for us opting out. They go into the desert and they live as hermits, uh, they get into monasteries, or at the very least they become Americans, where they take the whole idea of church and state separation extremely seriously and say, well, that's the way it should be. Christians ought not to be involved in the political process. And, of course, the mirror image of that is non-Christians saying to Christians, well, look, get, you know, shut up about how to run society. It's not your society. It's, it's, it's our society. It's for all of us. And so you as Christians you know, stick to what you do best, which is, uh, which is religion, and leave the, the operation of the state the rest of us. Look, I'm going to short-circuit that, though, because I think it is a non-issue. Even if you do take that option of saying, well, I'm going to go off and live in a desert and sit on a flagpole, uh, whatever, you will still have something of an interest in the sorts of things that society has to offer. Something like an interest in running water. Even if it's to say, no, keep it away from me. I'm trying to live in a desert. Having lots of water here would spoil it. You know, do not, and so you start writing off letters to the local desert council saying, do not do it, you're going to ruin the neighbourhood. Whatever your position on this, actually we're involved. We just are. We're we're here, we're we're in relationship with each other, and uh, we have to find some way of getting on with each other, and that is the process known as politics. So we are involved. That's why I think opting out is not a serious option. So where do we put our efforts if we're not going to opt out? And this is where I want to say that for the Christian, uh, we're onto our first principle. Even though we might find hints and clues about what matters, uh, what matters more and what matters less, the basic governing principle for involvement for the Christian who takes the Bible seriously is love your neighbour. It's in all sorts of places in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Jesus quotes it in the Old Testament, Mark 12, verse 31. Uh, He quotes the saying, love your neighbour. Luke 10, verse 27, a lawyer says it. And Jesus says that's exactly right. You've got to love your neighbour. That's the key duty. You've got to love God. And the second great commandment is you've got to love your neighbour. And that governs the way we think about our relationships. So... Let me say then that that basic governing principle is far more important than all sorts of other things that we let ourselves get bothered by, such as what should I get involved in? In fact, I want to say it pretty much doesn't matter what you get involved in if you follow that principle because you are involved. Now, love your neighbour. Okay, an example. I, I, I have no idea why I'm here today. Well, I do have some idea. Ryan rang me up and asked me to come along, but... As to the specific underlying reason, I couldn't uh, tell you and I didn't ask, but uh, possibly it's got something to do with the fact that I get letters into the Sydney Morning Herald, or um, possibly you never knew that and now you just think I'm a pompous git who (laughs) loves to tell us about my own achievements. Look, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Uh, You can think what you like, but I'm going to ramble on about that for a while because it sort of illustrates this thing that it's the principle of loving your neighbour rather than where you're putting your efforts, that I think is key. Now, I think that if you can email off a quick letter without agonising over it for half a day, you might as well give it a go. When you consider how many people read newspapers, it's still a fairly big section of the population, and I'm told that the letters page is the second most read page of the newspaper. People have a look at the front page, and then they flip over, flip over, and there's the cartoon, you look at the cartoon, and you read a couple of letters. Letters. So, on a Saturday in the Sydney Morning Herald, you might reach well over half a million readers. I think the actual figure is probably close to a million. Not that they sell that many papers, but everybody sort of sees one lying on the train seat. You pick it up, have a read. Okay? Uh, people blow these figures up in all sorts of ways, but let's say it's more than half a million. It is a good way to reach people. And if whether you're Christian or you're non-Christian, if there's something that you are passionate about, well, it's good politics to uh, write a letter and get it in. Uh, And, uh, you know, actually it's good to write to politicians too. I got onto the preschool committee and I thought, oh, here's an issue I'm angry about funding. I I, I wasn't angry about it, but I was told I should be. So, um, anyway, I did a bit of the homework, a bit of the research, and now I'm angry. So I, I wrote off letters to politicians as well, two politicians, got their names wrong, uh, sort of scuffles the whole process, really, but anyway, well, how do we get on to that? Um, look, letter writing, it's, it's just something I do, and uh, so I'm passionate about the Lord Jesus. Every time I write, I'm trying to talk about him, and I'm trying to make a political point, which is that Christianity is worth paying attention to and looking into. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then that is vitally important for us to know, for people to know, because it means that he has come to judge this world and that we're going to stand in front of him and give account to him. there's a whole lot of story I could fill in there, which I won't, but, you know, it's a key piece of information that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose again, and we're going to have to give account before him. So whenever I write, I try to get that in. Uh, There is nothing else that matters to me. That's, That's... that's what I'm obsessed with. Uh, so I get these nasty letters from people sometimes saying, you're speaking rubbish, and uh, I write back saying, yeah, I, I possibly, but do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because uh, it doesn't matter how I work it in, I just want to work it in. But I think the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's, it's got to do with everything. You know, it, it affects the way we think about the, the treatment of detainees at Villawood. Uh, it affects the way we think about abortion. Uh, it, it affects the way we think about the marginalised people in West Papua or East Timor. Uh, I'm really tempted to get into all sorts of details here. I won't I won't because I'm trying to sort of get to the key underlying uh, points that are informing this. So um, what guided my thinking as a Christian when I decided to start writing letters? Okay, Christians getting involved in politics. How did I get to that point? Did I carefully weigh up the number of people who listen to talkback radio? The comparative readership of other newspapers, including the tabloids, because double the number of people read the telly than read the Sydney Morning Herald. Whether to write to the Washington Post or the New York Times, because you know, they're more likely to publish an overseas letter because it makes them look important, and actually it's reaching lots of important people. Well, let me tell you the truth. It's because five and a bit years ago, my second daughter, Ruby, was born, and Ruby woke like clockwork at 4am, and we were doing bottle feed, and I had an internet connection. So uh, for several weeks, I would just get up, and four o'clock, baby, bottle, eventually worked out you can do a sort of one-handed baby bottle, <laughs> book of Romans, read it through, but there's only so many times that you can read through Romans and uh, eventually my natural laziness and curiosity got the better of me. So I started logging on to read the Sydney Morning Herald, which naturally got me mad because the Sydney Morning Herald is full of arrogant and pompous journalists who think that they can write just because they can write 1,000 words and attack Christianity, they have a licence to do that. And, uh, you know, so what better way to spend your time at four in the morning and to hold baby, the bottle, and one-handed to fire off an email to let the Sydney Morning Herald know what you think, you know, whatever. Now, what's the point of all that? It's just to say that in my case, there was no thought-out plan of action. God, in his wisdom, decided to chain me to the computer at four in the morning and once chained to the computer... I needed to start paying attention to his command to love my neighbour. Now, I'm not sure what your situation is or uh, whether there are people here in unique circumstances, what the case is, but but I'm using that to illustrate that once I'm there and I'm firing off the one-handed email to the Sydney Morning Herald, the thought that needs to be at the forefront of my thinking is the commandment to love my neighbour. And so I'm writing thinking the greatest good, not for me, but for those reading, whether it's Villawood or abortion or public transport. Now, here's what I'm saying, then. The Bible doesn't have a lot to say about the specifics of where we should be involved politically. We are involved. We are involved. But what is crystal clear is that we must love our neighbours as ourselves. And if you want anything clearer than that, Um, I just, for the sake of convenience, and uh, because I think they're relevant, I've got a collection of Bible verses there, and they give you a nudge in the right direction, I think. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And you're thinking, where do I put my effort? Put your effort into your family relationships. If you don't provide for your relatives... Uh, you've denied the faith, you're worse than an unbeliever. Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. James 1, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You You can do politics with rich people. Perhaps you are doing, I mean, perhaps you are rich. You are in a position of doing politics, but the Bible says there is a bias here and it's towards the orphans and widows. And if you want to know what true religion is, it's not stained glass windows, it's not cathedrals, it's not... It's it's not rosary, it's it's not any of the things that we would say. Well, that's true religion. James says true religion is to visit orphans and widows. And uh, of course, Matthew five verse forty three. You've heard that it was said, "You shall love your neighbor." There it is again, and hate your enemy. But I say to you even more, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So there you are. I could say more, but I'm short of time. So take the verses away. Have a look at them. Have a think about them, because that's. Uh, that's the key to, to love your neighbour, and within that, the Bible gives us ideas, hints, suggestions. But you know, you're a uni students; you'll work it out. Two, second principle: as much as we are called upon to love our neighbour, we can't do it. We cannot do it. Now, there are two reasons why we cannot love our neighbour. And they are both equally important. First of all, the limitation lies in us. Secondly, the limitation lies in the world. Firstly, as far as we are concerned, there is a limitation that lies within us. If I'm writing to the Herald, I'm not writing to the Telegraph. Um, Actually, if you can write to the Herald, you can probably zap off an email to the Age and to the Australian and hopefully get in all of them. Just don't put it as a CC, because I think they get offended by you sending letters to the other publication. But it works, so there's sort of this multitasking. Back to the point here. Um, If you do the one, you can't do the other. If if, uh, if I'm going to try and do both, then I won't be able to be on my daughter's preschool committee, because that is time-consuming, and they want me to write letters about preschool funding. Now, you've got the same problem. It's what the economists call opportunity cost, and what your mother calls you can't be in two places at the same time. If you do one thing, you can't do the other. So there's just a basic limitation on our ability to get things done. We're human beings. Uh, We can't do it. But there is a bigger and more serious limitation than all of that. We are limited by our own sinfulness. We want to love our neighbour. We want to care for them. But we don't love perfectly because we can't. And even when we do love, we fall short of God's standards. In fact, to be perfectly honest, one of the things that makes me suspicious of Christians getting into politics and suspicious of myself in particular, and please note, I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just suspicious because I'm, I don't know, I'm a suspicious guy, Um, is that it is far easier to write a zinger of a letter to the Sydney Morning Herald than it is to give my daughters a bath while cooking dinner for them and not losing my temper. And lots of people will come out uh, who are friends and say, oh, I saw your letter in the paper or whatever, but almost nobody comes up and says, ah, oh, I hear you managed to cook dinner without shouting. Well done. We are limited by our sinfulness. And even with all these allowances, I still fall short of what I should do. And that is a clear teaching of the Bible. There, again, a collection of verses, which I just encourage you to look at and to uh, consider how the Bible has this view of us. Uh, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Genesis 6 verse 5, an observation that was true then and is true now. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, if there is a limitation on us because of our sin, that same limitation is in place on the world as a whole. If you can't even change your own heart, then how can you hope to change the world, which is, after all, full of people like you and me? It's like getting everybody together and... Uh, in in a lecture theatre like this and people are just firing off bullets and guns in all random sorts of directions and, uh, you know, it's just chaos and you may be able to stop firing your own gun but there is a world of people who are just full of the same problem that the Bible isolates. The Bible says our lives are mucked up and our relationships are mucked up by sin. So that political solutions will go some of the way towards changing that. Some some of the way. And there's no question at all. A government that funds preschool education is a good government. A government that funds hospitals and universities. And uh, so on is a good government. In fact, in terms of the last two thousand years, it is often Christians who have funded hospitals, libraries, universities, foreign aid. But at heart, the problem is the human heart. The principle of love your neighbour is well and good, but we don't do it, and we don't do it because we can't do it. So the third thing, and this is what I've been working towards, the third principle is that God does what we can't. God does what we can't. A catchy way of saying is this is that if you're God and you want something done, well... Do it yourself. And God does. Let me just talk to you about how this works. In the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, the prophet, uh, who not surprisingly is called Habakkuk, complains to God about the evil and the injustice that he sees in his own nation, Israel. People who are supposed to be following God, but they don't. So here's what he says in Habakkuk. Why do you make me see iniquity? He complains. And why do you widely look at wrong? He's talking to God. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralysed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Okay, so he's complaining to God. What is God going to do about it? And if you want the full complaint, it's there in Habakkuk. It's only three pages long. It's a good read. Now, what happens in the short term is that God comes up with a wonderful political solution. God's answer is certainly, Israel is going to be judged, and those wicked people are going to be dealt with. Guess who's going to do it? Answer? The traditional enemies of Israel, the Babylonians the nation Babylon is going to come and defeat the nation Israel. Now, um, what does all that mean? The prophecy is a little bit like you complaining to someone about the way your brother is messing up the family house. And that someone that you're talking to says, oh, it's, it's awful, I know, it's frustrating, isn't it? Um, look, but uh, don't worry about it for a moment. Set your mind at ease because I know what your brother is like, and I'm sorting it out. A friend knows a hitman, and this guy is going to come round to your house and deal with a problem permanently, cheer up, all is well. (laughs) And you are appalled. What, is there going to be blood on the carpet? No, no. You are appalled, because it's your brother that it's talking about, and that is exactly the situation that Habakkuk is facing, He's saying... This nation, this country is a mess. Well, God says, that's okay. I said, yeah, I understand Australia's a mess. New Zealand's going to come and overrun the place. You think, God. Oh, okay. I actually preferred it the way it was. That's Habakkuk is appalled. Now, God says all sorts of things after that, but the big one is this. The political solution is not the permanent solution. It's not the final answer. And the key statement for Habakkuk is this. The righteous shall live by his faith. It's Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, if you want to look it up at some stage. Uh, Just write it down. Um, The righteous shall live by his faith. You must have faith, Habakkuk. Keep trusting. God is coming. The political solution is not the final solution. God is just as concerned and God is coming. Now that message from Habakkuk in the Old Testament is picked up in the time of Jesus Christ In Paul's letter to the Romans, Habakkuk says the righteous shall live by his faith. Paul picks that exact same statement up in Romans and says, well, faith in who? Faith in what? And the answer is not in politics, not in structures, not in leaders, not in politicians or anything else that this world has to offer. Paul, the Bible generally says, put your faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one who came into the world as God's leader and God's representative. And the Bible says, Jesus himself tells us that he comes to bring a new and better kingdom of hope. It is not based on this world's power structures. Jesus said, the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. The son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Not to organise it, not to get the people together and hold the revolution and replace the government and to... Jesus came, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And um, I don't have time to say everything that I want to say about that, but this is what I do want to say. The solution that God offers to the problems of this world, political and otherwise, is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you put your trust in him, he will honour that trust. How does he do that? Well, if the problem of politics is really a problem of the human heart, then Jesus offers radical heart surgery. The Bible says that anyone who disobeys God deserves death. That's why in the book of Habakkuk, even though God's promising to come in with the Babylonians and people will die, Habakkuk really is not able to say, well, that's unfair. He's not able to say that people don't deserve death. That's what the Bible consistently spells out. The punishment for rejecting God is death. But Jesus comes and he dies on the cross and he takes the full weight of God's anger on himself and the full weight of the wrong things that we've done. So he is the one who offers change. And it's a change that begins here in the human heart, but it takes in all of creation. I need to finish... And allow some time for questions, but I wonder if I can ask you to take the next step. If you're a Christian, there are three principles there and take them and apply them where you are. Whether family, local or uni, particularly the principle that we're to love our neighbour, that is always true. And you don't really know where following that principle is going to lead you. Whether to writing letters or to East Timor or to not cheating on your essays or to cleaning up after your brother. I don't know. If you're not a Christian, I hope you can see the radical nature of what the Bible is suggesting. There are things that Christians might have to say about politics, but in the end everything swings on your attitude to Jesus Christ and his claim to be Lord of all. That's the heart of it. If Jesus Christ died, if Jesus Christ then rose from the dead, then he is the one who is... Lord of us and Lord of all creation, and he's going to fix things more than just a short-term political situation which involves more funding for your local street. More than some small band-aid sort of fix, God is going to radically, through Jesus Christ, overturn this creation. Who is Jesus? Look at the claims that he makes and understand that if they are true, that is the most radical politics of all. I might just um, uh, open up to questions and comments there. Uh, Actually I should also say that uh, there is a communication card here that came with the outline. So if you don't want to ask a question now, by all means just um, fill in the details there and if if you'd like to get a response from that you might do something like put your email address uh, down and somebody from the EU here might contact you, but uh, that is another good way of communicating. But um, I'm here now, ready to answer questions, and I'll be around for a little bit after as well. In other one of the handouts, would Jesus vote for John Howard? What do you think of that? Would Jesus vote for John Howard? Yeah. I don't think Jesus is on anybody's side in that political sense, uh, and uh, oh, I tossed it out, but I had this great quote from Jim Wallace who was here last month, the US guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, he, he uh, calls himself, um, yeah, he, he, he classes himself as an evangelical and he is deeply critical of this whole right-wing, left-wing thing and he, he talks about the issues that um, he encounters over in. Universities and colleges in the United States, and he says, you know, the thing that really annoys me. I'm just paraphrasing because, as I say, toss the quote. Um, actually, get onto the, the internet and Google Jim Wallace, W-A-L-L-I-S, religion report, April the 12th. Uh, that's where it was from. Um, and he says, look, i uh, this right wing, left wing stuff. Uh, it, it's all well and good for the right wing to go on about how they're concerned for abortion and the rights of the baby. But look, if you're a baby and you're unborn, then you're right wing. But once you're out of the womb, they're going to forget about you. There's no support for the mother. There's no support for the child. There's no support for the... And uh, whether you agree or disagree with his political statement, I think the point is clear, isn't it? That God ought not to be hijacked to either right wing or left wing or any sort of wing. That there are certain issues that the Bible speaks to and uh, we've got an obligation um, to not allow ourselves to be captured by the political parties on these sorts of things. I think one of the things that saddens me a bit in, in Australia is that the uh, left wing, the ALP, um, keep annoying Christians by bringing up issues that we look at and we think, no, you can't talk like that. So they'll bring up the abortion Question. or I'll bring up the euthanasia question, and I'll push it, and I'll make an issue of it. Um, and it just makes me hard to. It makes it hard for me. It makes it hard for us to think. Yes, you know, I want to get behind that. You know, because there are all sorts of things about the left wing that are good and attractive that aren't there in the right, and vice versa, of course. So would God vote for John Howard? Yeah. Would would John Howard vote for God? He ought to. <laughs> Here, off the back there. I was just wondering, do you think it's uh, possible this day and age for the secular country and uh, sinful people as well to be a successful politician and yet still have God as the centre of your life? Yeah, um, I'd broaden the question, I think. if the, the question is, is it possible in this secular society and with basic sinfulness? to be a a politician and to have Jesus at the centre of your life? Well, I'd like to think so, but actually I I want to broaden the question and say, is it possible to be a human being and to have God at the centre of your life? I mean, there's all sorts of temptations out there, and you don't have to be a politician to meet with temptation. You you just have to be alone in your room with an internet connection to be met with temptation. You just have to have a dispute running with somebody that you really don't get on with personally for there to be temptation. Life is full of temptation. And as as humans, I can resist anything uh, except for temptation. So I, I would like to think that as difficult as it is for a politician, it's, it's difficult because I'm a human. Um, I'm, yeah, I just um, I might have, read, but I might have yeah. raised it wrong. Um, I more mean, as a politician, you have to pursue power to the extreme, um, to the point at which becoming, say, a leader of a party or the leader of the country um, is so important that you have to put everything else aside for that. So, for example, the necessity to lie at certain times so that you can appear as a, um, as a truthful or good politician is necessary to be successful in politics. So can you be a dedicated Christian and yet still attain such a high um, level of power as that? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily accept that it's necessary to lie. No, I, I don't think I can accept that. But, um, you know, I think of someone like John Anderson. I don't know if you saw him on enough rape the other day, um, uh, the other night. And I, I, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with his politics again, but I think there's someone who struggled to get it right as a politician and was able... with genuine integrity and without Andrew Denton laughing at him to talk about the pressures of being a politician and trying to put God first and human nature and so on. Um, Did he fail? I've no doubt that he failed and he failed in ways that we may never know about but then so do we all. The message of Christianity is not, however, that you've got to be perfect. The message of Christianity is you will fail, I will fail and that's why Jesus died and that's why that's why the political stuff is always going to be pushing you around and it's, it's always going to be falling short. And you've got to put hope for something bigger than politics in the end. Yes, over here. You talked about uh, it being about faith. And you also talked about how you've got to be good to your neighbour and stuff. Um, lots of people that I've talked to say it's about being good. So could you just like explain, expand? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I've talked about faith. Lots of people say that you know Christianity is about being good. That's a fundamental mistake. And uh, perhaps I've added to it today. I've said, right, there's my first point here: love your neighbour. And everybody thinks, oh yeah, of course. That's what Christianity is. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian. In fact, not now so much, but probably my parents or my grandparents' generation, your, your great-grandparents, I don't know, um, people would have said, well, how dare you say I'm not a Christian because I try and follow the Ten Commandments, I try and love my neighbour. But uh, but what the Bible's message continually is, that is well, there is Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So as much as we might say, yeah, that's the standard I want to reach, um, I, I do want to love my neighbour... I I fall short and I fail. And so Christianity is not so much about setting that standard because we all know that's a good thing to do. It's about saying, no, I haven't reached it. Um, And because Jesus Christ came into the world, died on the cross, took the punishment that I deserved and rose again, if I trust him, I can find forgiveness. And that's, that's key. Thank you for asking that question. Christianity is not about doing the right thing politically or individually. It's about being forgiven, which was going to have a flow-on effect in those other areas too. Yeah, let us make this last one. Okay, what are some um, good practical ways that you can get into politics without sort of being corrupted by it? Like, what are some good standards to out for? Yeah, uh, it depends on what sort of politics you're talking about. The question is, what what are some good practical ways to get into politics without being corrupted by it. And, uh, you know, I, I think I began by saying politics is, it's its just the world of relationships and how we govern those relationships and, and how we relate. So my commitment to doing good um, preschool committee politics begins, further back than that, it begins with a commitment to do good interpersonal politics with my daughter when we go into Toys R Us. Uh, it, it begins with... I, I, um, I can't understand why people say, if you're a politician, your private life is a no-go zone. I can't understand that. Perhaps it's journalists with a guilty conscience who don't want too many fingers pointed back the other way. I don't know. But um, I can't understand how a politician could lie to his wife and his family um, about an adulterous relationship and then turn around and say to the public, you ought to trust me, I'm a trustworthy person. Well, that's not right, is it? And so I think it, it begins where we are in our relationships, that, uh, that the love that Christ shows to us is the love that we ought to express to each other, that when we fail, we ought to do something about that to, to seek forgiveness, and the, those basic principles of, and ethics are ones that I'm going to carry into the preschool committee, into the local council, into the state politics. Yeah. I, it's probably a bit vague there, but we're running out of time, so I'm happily vague.